The Holy Gospel, Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. And he began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and let it out to tenants and went into another country for a long while. When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent another servant, but they also beat and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent a third. This one also they wounded and cast out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Let us kill him, so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When they heard this, they said, Surely not. But he looked directly at them and said, What then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them, but they feared the people. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please be seated. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Our lectionary skips forward a bit this week. We come to a passage as Jesus teaches in Jerusalem, as we will celebrate next week. The pilgrim journey from Galilee to Jerusalem has culminated in the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. He's cleansed the temple, cleared out the merchants, declaring, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. The pilgrim journey may be complete, but the clash of kingdoms is just heating up. Jesus continues in the temple each day, declaring the good news. We remember from our Advent journey how politically charged this proclamation of the good news is, directly setting the claim of the kingdom of God manifest in Jesus, the Christ, against the claim of the empire of Rome manifest in the emperor who proclaims himself a god. Now the scribes and the elders of the temple come to challenge Jesus. They question his authority. And Jesus, in turn, reveals their insecurity. And then turning from the religious elite to the crowd before him, Jesus tells the parable we read today. Unlike the lost and found parables we discussed last week, there's very little ambiguity in this parable. Even the religious elite that are questioning Jesus and his authority understand his meaning clearly. We hear about a landowner planting a vineyard and leasing it out to tenants. If we have any doubts as to the symbolism, we need only to turn to our reading from Isaiah 
tells us the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the people of Judah. He expected justice, but saw bloodshed, righteousness, but heard an outcry. So we're primed to hear the fate of the prophets, beaten, shamed, and ignored as the landowner sends his envoys to demand his share. And now Luke removes any doubt as he tells us that the landowner now sends his beloved son, the title bestowed upon Jesus at his baptism and at the transfiguration. Now Jesus predicts his own death at the hands of a rebellious people in the response of the tenants. Notice, this is not a spontaneous reaction, but a deliberate act as they plotted amongst themselves, saying, this is the heir. If we kill him, we will steal the inheritance. Jesus then tells of the inevitable disappointment and destruction of those who place their confidence in anything less than God. The early leader, readers of Luke will see this fulfilled in the destruction of the temple. If we take a step back, we can see this fulfilled throughout history as mighty empires rise and fall. We can even see it today in the church, where successful leaders begin to rely upon themselves. They begin to congratulate themselves for all the work they are doing. And they fail to turn to God for strength and assurance. If we're honest, we can even see this manifest in our own lives. If we allow this parable to hold a mirror before us, what might we see? I want to take a moment to explore two of the many questions this parable might raise in us. First, what is the fruit that the Lord demands? Second, what do I do when I realize that I'm wrong? What is the fruit that the Lord demands? Let us assume that as the people of God, the body of Christ, the church, that we are now the tenants of the Lord's vineyard. What is the fruit the Lord demands of his church? Let's turn back to the parable that we read in our text and look. The first messengers are the prophets sent to the people of God to remind them of their identity and purpose, to be a witness to all people, the glory and power of God, to live as a chosen people under the sovereign power and provision of their creator. We see throughout the history of Israel and Judah, the people turning to idolatry and seeking their security and provision, not in the Lord their God, but in the nations around them. They turn from the one who can truly provide, the one who can truly keep safe, into the lies and deceptions of the kingdoms of this world. If we're honest, we can see the same in ourselves, in all the ways that we attempt to find our identity, worth, and value in anything other than as beloved children. As we seek to find our security and provision in the ways of the temporal kingdoms of this world rather than the eternal kingdom. First fruit 
that God requires from his vineyard is repentance. The repentance by which we recognize our idolatry and rebellion and turn once more to the truth and sovereignty of the living God. But our parable does not end with the prophets, but continues as the landowner sends his son, his beloved son, to the vineyard. What fruit does the son seek? Jesus comes not simply as a prophet calling the people to repentance. Jesus comes to fulfill and redeem, to establish the kingdom of heaven on earth. Jesus comes to bring the fruits of the kingdom. In Luke's gospel, we've heard about this kingdom fruit. We heard from Zechariah that the Christ comes as the day spring from on high, bringing light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and guiding our feet into the way of peace. We've heard Mary sing that in Jesus, the kingdom will be manifest as the mighty and the proud are cast down, and the lowly and poor are lifted up, and the hungry are fed with good things. We've heard Jesus describe his own kingdom mission in the synagogue at Nazareth. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. We have, walked, we have watched Jesus walk out this kingdom mission, healing those who are sick, casting out demons, opening the eyes of the blind, welcoming those who are other, restoring to community those who have been excluded. Jesus walks out the restorative justice of the kingdom. Jesus walks out life in the sovereignty of God. This fruit of the kingdom is not a new command. Micah famously summarized the fruit of the kingdom as loving mercy, seeking justice, and walking humbly with the Lord our God. We heard from Isaiah about the Lord coming to the vineyard, expecting justice, expecting the restorative justice of the kingdom, and instead finding the bloodshed of jealousy, revenge, and idolatry. We also heard about the Lord coming to the vineyard seeking righteousness and instead hearing an outcry. This brings us to our second question. What do I do when I realize that I am wrong? What do I do when I am called to righteousness? Do I respond in obedience or in rebellion? If we listen to our parable today, we might even hear an echo of Nathan coming before David the king with a parable that reveals David's own unrighteousness in his adulterous affair with Bathsheba and his murder of Uriah, her husband. Nathan 
notes David's outrage at the man in the parable, and he quietly says, you are that man. David responds to this knowledge with contrition and repentance. And in contrast, we find the chief priests and the scribes in full knowledge and understanding that the parable Jesus has spoken is directed at them, doubling down on their own self-deception, too proud to respond in repentance. What do I do when I realize that I am wrong? I can see the pattern of my own response in Adam. The Lord God called out to the man in the garden and said to him, Where are you? And Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And God said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman you gave me to be with me. She gave me the fruit and I ate it. When the lie that I have told myself is confronted with capital T truth, my first response is often avoidance. I'm scared that others might find out. I'm scared that God might find out. So I cover up my wrong and hide myself from truth. You know, we learn much about our relationship with ourselves, our relationship with God, as we look at our relationships with others. We talked last week about the ministry of reconciliation. How often have I resisted the call to reconciliation? How often have I avoided conversation or hidden myself from someone that was important to me because I could not face my own part in hurting them? And when I'm no longer successful in avoiding the truth, I turn to deflection. It wasn't my fault, it was that woman you gave me. When someone has the courage to tell me that I have hurt them in some way, how often do I respond by blaming them or blaming other circumstances? You just don't understand. That isn't what I meant. That's just the way I am. I was just tired or hungry. I was just distracted. I was angry at something else some other excuse that deflects blame from me. And if avoidance and deflection don't work, perhaps defensiveness will. Like the chief priests and the scribes in our gospel reading, I'll double down on my own error, too proud to admit my mistake. I might even go on the offensive, attacking the messenger, anything to avoid the defeat of my own pride. While I know that these tactics are unreliable at best and unsuccessful all of the time, I still turn to them over and over. But Jesus invites us to respond in a different way. Jesus invites us to set our side our avoidance 
to set aside our deflection, to set aside our defensiveness. Jesus invites us to restoration, to the restorative justice of the kingdom, the justice that confronts the lie with truth, the justice that replaces unlove with love, the justice that only occurs as our idols are torn down and the sovereignty of God, the almighty God, the loving God, the living God, when that sovereignty is proclaimed and manifest and restored in our lives. May it ever be so. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.